This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. This week, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Kirk Parsley. A native Texan, Dr. Parsley began his fascination of sleep studies after having spent six years as a Navy SEAL and another five years as the team's clinician. Here, where Dr. Parsley realized that despite his efforts instituting new diagnoses and treatment protocols, he felt his practices would be more embraced outside the current military bureaucracy. In this episode, we get to pick Doc's brain about the correlation between metabolic syndrome and sleep, whether or not sleep pods are bogus, and if you really can make up for those long-lost sleep years of shift work, raising kids, or late-night raging on Red Bull Vodka. You will not want to miss Dr. Parsley's top three tips on how to positively alter existing sleep habits, and in no way do they include taking Ambien. Find out what disassociation is and why it is definitely not the same thing as natural sleep. If you're listening to this now, it means you're awake and that's good enough reason to stay vertical and take in the knowledge bombs here on episode 95 of Power Athlete Radio. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. This is Denny. I'm here with John, Luke, Tex, and Callie. And we have a special guest with us today, Dr. Kirk Parsley. How's everybody doing? Great. Outstanding. <laughs> John is silent. Nope, John is silent. <laughs> so uh, I guess we'll just kind of, you know, before we get the ball rolling, though, I mean, let's... Uh, Let's talk about this real quick about that Super Bowl. Which one? <laughs> the Super Bowl. <laughs> right? And we the, out, uh, the outstanding decisions. <laughs> Who won the match? Who won the match? <laughs> right. Who, uh, How many goal point units were scored? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a lot of controversy. People are uh, text released that article about it. Mm-hmm. What's controversy? Much complaining about uh, that. Not calling beast mode, and Dude. it's like, come on, really? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, first of all, let's put this to rest. Dude. It was actually the right call. So you got to remember that it was second down. They had one timeout, so all of a sudden, if they go and they run it on second down, they're going to have to run it on third and fourth. So the idea was throw on second. If you throw an incomplete pass, then you come back. You know, the clock's stopped. already start, stopped. You have third down to run the ball, and if you run the ball and you get stuffed, then you have a timeout to stop the clock so you can set up for fourth down. So it was actually not a bad call. Just the guy made a nice idea. play. It was a nice idea, just poorly executed. <laughs> yeah, no, the the uh, you know everybody's like, oh, you should have given it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, fuck, like the guy just had a, a four-yard run for one uh, where he got taken down to the one. Uh, like, what about that play? How come you couldn't get an extra yard? So I, I think everybody loves to be a Monday morning quarterback, but it's actually yeah. the right call to make. And uh, you but know, what had it worked, it, it would have been the greatest call, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, that's the NFL. Like, if you yeah. win, you're the best. If you lose, obviously, you are, like, the worst. And 
if you're the Patriots and you win, you're obviously cheaters. So. And I think you know, a lot of misguided attentions going to Belichick and Brady because clearly Gronk is the true winner of this Super Bowl because I think he's been on like a four-day rager dude. based off of TMZ. Dude, dude like <laughs> dancing until his pants rip. Like, that's my guy. Dude, he, that's uh, a standard wearing, Saturday, though, for me. He, he was wearing a, uh, a 69 jersey, and then he had like a despicable <laughs> me hat on. And I don't know if you guys saw it, but somebody tossed him a beer, and he like put his thumb through, pounded it, and then somebody Smashed tossed it. him a bottle of Fireball, Fireball. Yeah, and he started pounding that, Smashed and he was it. just up there like, blah, screaming. And you know the best is everybody's like, we love this guy. And I'm like, you know what? This is so cool. I'm so happy for that dude. Yeah, that he like, gets like, that character is acceptable for him. Yeah. Whereas he's if it were someone else, yeah, he's, a, get, yeah. he's not very articulate, though. I've seen what him when I got him. He's a total rockhead. That's all that matters. He's a total rockhead, but here was the thing I said to Luke the other day. He's no math uh, like, without So think about this. If Aaron Hernandez wasn't a sociopath and, and killed people, uh, would Gronkowski have ever got the shot? Would he ever have the attention? Yeah. I mean, would they even have drafted him? Yeah, that's... <laughs> or if they did draft him... Are you him, trying to spin a guys? positive on this right now? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, like, <laughs> Gronkowski, I think, might have been... He probably would have been on the Bears. Well, no, he framed. I, think he framed <laughs> I thought they drafted him first, though, before Hernandez. They they drafted him and his brother. Uh, I think uh, uh, both Gronkowskis were on the Patriots. Yeah, I think the other Gronk was uh, he was a defensive lineman, I think. Right. Doc, what's your take on what's your take on all this? <laughs> you you guys have surpassed my current football knowledge by <laughs> orders of magnitude already. Uh, <laughs> if, as soon as the Cowboys are out of it, I don't really follow football that much. So. Uh, Got it. So <laughs> where are you I, where are you, where are you speaking to us from right now? I'm speaking to you from a an empty apartment in New Braunfels that I, yeah. that I yeah, just just took. Uh, ownership of yesterday or rentership of whatever the appropriate word is for that. Are you originally from Texas? I am. I, I, uh, I lived uh, on Kima Island which is on the Houston Ship Channel until I was about seven and then I moved out to Katy, Texas and uh, right. finished high school from there almost uh, and then joined the Navy. So, and uh, California. I, I went to Taylor. That's where I went. Fucking small oh, world. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> that is. Here what, we go. What year did you graduate? 2004. 2004. Yeah, I'm a few years older than you. Yeah. <laughs> like 16. 16 years older. But, uh, <laughs> How funny is that? Small yeah, world. Look at that. Just, hey, uh, hey, Doc, did you know uh, Tony Fadulu? No, doesn't sound familiar. Okay, he was uh, he's he's from Katy, Texas. He was the running back on my brother's team. That's so funny. That does would, not sound like a Texas name. Uh, well, his dad was a uh, a research scientist from Africa, and they moved to Texas uh, okay. for a research clinic. But Tony was uh, yeah, he was a running back played on my brother's team. He's from Katy, Texas, and I think he went to Texas Rival High School, if I remember right. Oh, uh, he went. He went to Katy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's 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 something in the water out there. There's there's quite a few uh, notable folks from from Katie. Like Tesh small Doc Parsley. Like Renee Zellweger and Nolan Ryan. Janine Garofalo. Come on. Janine Garofalo. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Her brother's great. 
Um, hey, Doc, the, uh, you know, uh, obviously, um, uh, you know, us having you on the podcast wasn't by accident. Mainly it's uh, because, you know, you and I are friends. Everybody and, else said no, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> no, we've been trying to get you on because, you know, like it seems like the, the Internet world and the podcast world has just been giving you a massive HJ. And I'm like, all of a sudden, everybody's like talking about this person, dude. I'm like, you mean, really? I mean, so... I mean, we, we know each other. Yeah, that guy's a clown. I know that hack. idiot. I was like, that guy's a hack. Hack fact number one. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they. You know, I'm on Wikipedia now. It's under quack. <laughs> well, you also have a TED talk. You know, the. Uh, yeah. Do you really? Oh, yeah, he's got a pretty good TED Talk on sleep. Um, uh, guaranteed to be watched well, the, tonight. Uh, I, yeah. actually met, I actually met Doc through uh, our other little wormy, nerdy friend, Rob Wolf. And then Doc and I uh, have uh, worked together on a couple um, retreats and a couple speaking engagements for Naval Special Warfare. And also, for those of you guys wondering, uh, Doc Parsley is a former Navy SEAL and then went to med school uh, through the Navy and became, uh, you know, one of the, the clinical docs for the, the teams for, what, 16 years or something crazy? No, no, no. I had 16 years total service. Oh. I, was, I, was at the, uh, I was at the SEAL teams um, as a SEAL for years, and I was back as their doc for a little over five years, and that was my last uh, last foray in, in, uh, in the military. I, I bailed out of there, um, but, you know, by and large, um, because of what I, you know, because of the way I started practicing medicine there, it wasn't really compatible, uh, compatible with a heavily bureaucratic organization like the military, you know. Would it be possible for you to elaborate a little bit on that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, it, it's it, it, it's basically it would be no different, you know, if you're working for uh, the NFL. Yeah, or the NFL. Yeah. So, if you're working for the uh, medicine in the Navy, you work under something called BUMED, the Bureau of Medicine, which is like a Washington D.C. kind of level thing. So, it'd be no different than working for like an academic uh, hospital. Like you're just you're just completely hamstrung by standard of care, right? Like so, if if it's not what WebMD says, then it's not the answer. Um, and then you add to that all the all the you know Navy bureaucracy about fitness for duty. So what guys are, uh, you know, what sort of treatment can a guy be getting and still uh, be you know, doing his job. So, like, obviously, you couldn't have an insulin-dependent seal, right? Because you can't, you know, guarantee a guy's going to get insulin injections when he's out uh, on on a mission, or whatever, right? So, you know, there's limitations, but you know, we, that's a severe example. But there's also, um, you know, there there's some much less intuitive uh, limitations as to what you can do with guys because uh, it doesn't fall within the standard of care. Um, and so, you know, the the problem was really that. Uh, you know the seals were having problems uh, that couldn't be handled. Uh, it, it couldn't be handled without giving them medications that would disqualify them from being seals. So I had to go and figure out another way to do it, which kind of led me down the alternative, complementary alternative. Uh, you know, whatever the ev evolutionary medicine, ancestral health, whatever you want to call that whole sort of. Uh, you know, non-pharmacological based uh, treatment regimen. It's really how I got into it. Um, you know, when I got to the SEAL teams, I didn't know anything about sleep. They never taught me anything about sleep in medical school. Um, 
if they did, I was I slept through it. Like I don't I don't uh, remember a single class on that. So you know, I, I got to the SEAL teams, and it wasn't even really sleep they were complaining of. That was like a sideline, but um, you know, they came to me with essentially what sounded like metabolic syndrome. Uh, and looked like metabolic syndrome, but they were like way too young and healthy and fit and active and eating too well to have metabolic syndrome, and it didn't make sense. And uh, sleep was just one of the avenues that I started pursuing, and it, it turned out to be a really, really big player. Um, and then, you know, the more I learned about sleep, the more I learned about how all that ties into hormonal production and appetite regulation and like, you know, everything essentially. There's really nothing that isn't affected by sleep. And so I kind of started going down this path that looked more like a naturopath, you know, something more like a naturopath would do. Um, and uh, trying to do things with, through uh, lifestyle modification to help people improve the, all these metabolic markers, in, including their hormones. And, you know, hormones are a four-letter word in the, in the military. Um, not because they can't spell, I guess. Um, but you know, it's it's a uh, you know it, it was it was a sketchy scene, and they didn't really like me uh, not doing you know not giving people Ambien for sleep and not giving people you know uh, anti-inflammatories for their chronic pain and all this other stuff. So uh, it, it was kind of considered quackery and uh, just led to a ton of conflict. And I just said, hey, I can either stay in and practice shit I don't believe in for the rest of my life or I can just go out and do my own thing. And I figured I'd be a lot more helpful to team guys outside of the military than inside and that's and that's proven to be true so far. So hopefully the run continues. Do you do you think that uh, like those some of those systemic issues that you dealt with um, you know do you think that there's any hope for sort of seeing the light with that and, and keeping some of the health uh, components of these of these seals with high regard to you know like their their commanding officers or you know okay, their training I think you have to look at it from just a bigger global thing I mean the the seals and what doc Parsi's dealing with is really just a microcosm of a much bigger problem where obviously you go into a doctor and you complain of something and instead of being like hey let's talk about your food let's talk about your training let's talk about your you know sleep pattern stress you start talking about all these kind of holistic things that people would say are quackery, and what do they want to do? Oh, you have high cholesterol, let's give you this. Oh, you can't sleep, let's give you this. Yeah, it's oh, all oh, treatment this. instead well, yeah, of it's, it's, it's like preventative. It's, yeah, it's basically putting a Band-Aid over the check engine light, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you get these guys that have eight different medications that they're taking all at once to combat all these other things that end up becoming just, you know, perpetually feeding on each other, and, um, you know, whereas... Uh, you know, what was so cool with what Doc was doing is he looked at these guys and almost was forced to figure out a way to work within the confines that he was given and ended up, uh, <laughs> no, he ended up, you know, kicking ass and being, um, you know, one of the, the, you know, the experts and the guys that I would definitely choose as my, who wants to be a millionaire lifeline. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's true though. I mean, like I, I wrote about it on our, uh, in our forums today, um, you know, whether it be training or health and nutrition, I mean, I think you got to have some people that are really good, and uh, Doc is definitely one of those guys who, you know, so far ahead of the game on some things, and it's uh, it's pretty exciting. And he's also got a really cool sleep cocktail coming out, which I am super excited to try. Yeah, we'll we'll give you a we'll hook you up with some of the raw powder here soon. The the I don't I don't think the product will actually hit the market for a month, but, but we we'll have uh, we'll have some raw powder at my house and. About a week, and uh, when I come up to do the 
the uh, OGTT with you. We'll, I'll give you some of that, and you can just weigh it out for a bit until we get the stuff in the, in the pretty little packets. Hey, Doc, I actually, on a personal note, I, um, uh, I hit up uh, Inkadon about that, and we did a, a deal on the glucose, and uh, he's like, you know, when we went back and did your stuff, your stuff was always elevated in the morning, and as soon as you eat, it fell below 80, and you were loafing yeah. over the course of the day. So he ended up recommending me a sleep study, and was like asking me some questions. It was like, hey, when we get a sleep study to see if you have some sleep apnea or something going on. And uh, so I, I mentioned it to Kate, and she's like, yeah, uh, there's, you know, if you're sleeping in a certain position, you'll wake up a bunch of times every night. I'm like, well, how can you tell me? She's like, I did. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so she, so I, I mentioned that to Rob and to Inky, and he's like, well, if you're, you know, if your fasting blood glucose is high in the morning and it goes down, he goes, maybe that's the reason why everything else was was pretty good. So. Uh, yeah, I, I got a sleep study uh, scheduled, so maybe uh, I might have to end up with one of those Darth Vader masks on. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. I mean, that that's a you know that was another thing that I had to sort of uh, battle with the seals is um, you know as soon as I started uh, uh, you know finding guys that have some serious sleep issues, which was the you know actually the vast majority of them, big surprise. Um, you know, the, the again, standard of care will you know uh, tell them tell them not to drink caffeine past noon, and then order a sleep study. Essentially, is the next thing on the list. Um, and you know, again, these guys couldn't take a CPAP out into the field with them, and uh, you know, on a on a three or four day mission, um, it, it'd be a little extra crap to carry, and not very practical. So, you know, there there's some alternatives to that if you end up with uh, with uh, you know, a central or uh, obstructive sleep apnea. We can talk more about it. There's there's some there's some better treatments and cool. And we'll see. We'll, Doc, we'll chat about that. I'm I'm curious if um you think that like these these issues that you deal with in your fields, whether they be in the military or outside the military, um, do you think that they're they stem from uh either political, um, you know, reasons or there's some, there's big business involved or if it's just ignorance in general, what do you find to be like the most either frustrating or sort of like rampant uh, mythology in what you do? Hold on, I, I lost you for a second. Um, oh, okay, sorry. What, what, what do I find to be the most frustrating or rampant, that's the yeah. last word. Yeah, just sort of like um, you know, is do you do you feel like there's a lot of uh, not mis not misdiagnosis but mistreatment because of um, either big business or do you think it's politics or do you think it's ignorance? You know, like what do you think to be like the, the biggest issue there, or is it just a combination, like a whole yeah, big old mess? I, it 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 is just a hot mess. Like I I don't know that you could narrow it down to one thing being the predominant um, issue unless you were talking about like one. One specific provider. Um, I don't think anybody was smart enough to sit back and mastermind uh, the the wreck that uh, that medicine has turned into. I don't think that that the pharmaceutical companies said, "Hey, we're going to totally control this and keep everybody dumb." Um, and I don't think that uh, people foresaw the the information overload of, of the internet and you know the the push the push to publish that's out there which leads to a lot of the misinformation and it leads to a lot of the overwhelm that prevents physicians from even trying to read when you have you know 33,000 peer-reviewed journal articles coming out like every month 
Um, yeah. You know, there, there's no way you can keep up on that. So they just say, "Hell with it." I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick and choose a little bit, or they're gonna get their information from the New York Times, like their patients do, or something. Um, so, I mean, that's one problem. The pharmaceutical company, obviously, you know, they they have a vested interest in people taking medications. Uh, you know, a lot of research grants come from those guys. So universities have vested interest in doing research on. On uh, pharmaceuticals, and I don't, I don't think that there's anything nefarious going on. But if you're, you know, if you're a, a medical school professor and you've spent the last 20 years, um, you know, researching, uh, you know, mu opi opioid receptors and this new drug that it, that attaches to that, that you know, that's that's what you're going to be teaching. That's what's in your mind. And I don't think that people are you know, actually masterminding a, a plan to sell more pharmaceuticals, but that's honestly what they know. That's what they spend 20 hours of their day thinking about doing, and so that's what they're going to promulgate. And then, you know, you select the next group of academics who are going to teach the next group of doctors, and, you know, the cycle repeats. Um, and then, you know, in, in society in general, I mean, people just by and large are really, really resistant to the idea of, Hey, you've got to completely change your lifestyle and not be like everybody else if you don't want to have the same health problems as everybody else. Um, and well, yeah. isn't the idea, Doc, uh, kind of in conventional medicine right now that they realize that people aren't going to change? So then let's find a way to medicate it. It's kind of like you see the commercials for diabetes, and they're like, you know what? Just because you have diabetes doesn't mean you can't have these desserts. All you need to do is just take four clicks of insulin and you're fine. Exactly. And, and like, like you're, you're watching this, you're, wait a minute, like, diabetes is a disease of carbohydrate. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, and it's like just the same thing. Like, um, uh, like it, yeah, I mean, it just trips me out. Like, whereas, you know, they, like, you know, how many people go get their average checkup and the doctor's like, well, you know, you need to do this, this, and this. And they don't make a change until something is like life-threatening, like they're in there with a heart attack, and then they come out, and how many of those people don't change? It's easier for them just to kind of like medicate around people because they realize that the ability to, to really harness and, and like make a, a legitimate life change, like how many people are able to do it and then do it for you know a, a great deal of time? And when you hear about somebody, it's usually like the biggest loser because there was a million bucks at the end of the, pro or the pot of the rainbow. So... Uh, you know, and it, is it really that, you know, conventional medicine is broken, but in the same right, is it like, you know, people's, uh, you know, being detached and not taking responsibility for themselves? It's an, it's an enabling process, too. I mean, enabling. It's, yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I, I totally agree with you, and I think it's it's really, really pervasive. It, and, you know, sleep's a good metaphor for that, right, or a good example of that. I mean, when I talk to people about getting more sleep, they just turn off immediately. Like, you know, my 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 TED talk is a great example, right? Like, uh, you know, when you pull up TED when you pull up TED talks, they have like the and the sidebar examples of other videos that you might like, and um, you know, they're you know, I I've literally calculated it out to where I I have uh, in a 17 minute TED talk that I'm trying to tell people that I honestly believe this is the biggest one health issue what the single easiest behavioral modification that we could do as a society that would damn near wipe out uh, the whole medic the whole healthcare financial crunch um, and I literally have like 0.06 percent of the traffic of how to 
fold a Chinese throwing star out of a piece of notebook paper uh, that's also 17 minutes long. You know, so people people just don't want to hear about this. Uh, you know, they they you know there's there's a cultural norm that you're supposed to only sleep this long, and if you sleep longer than that, you're lazy, and you should be up before the sun, and you should be cranking and doing X, Y, and Z, and you know, pushing and going and going and going. So people. You know, one, one, they're not sure they believe it. Two, you know, you have other other guys out there uh, promulgating you know, biohacking, whereas, you know, if you just uh, wear these special glasses and sleep on this kind yeah. of mat, then you can do three hours of sleep and be genius. And Doc, know, as soon as I hear the term biohacking, uh, I throw up a little in my mouth. Yeah, so. yeah. It's you like, oh, and, and, and the only guys that I've ever seen, I love all these, like, fact number two. these fucking biohackers. How come not a single one of them is either strong in good shape or anything other than good at marketing? So this well, fucking here, biohacking bullshit. But, but, but before we go down that rabbit hole, uh, because you were on a fucking incredible track, would you give us a Doc Parsley approved, like, three-step, like, how long, when, what, like, kind of the, uh, uh, you know, because... I've heard this, but I think the people at home, like, you know, kind of like when, um, uh, you know, we have people on, like, like a Matt Lawn where it goes through all the stuff, and at the end of the day, people are like, tell me what the fuck to eat. And, like, I think yeah. for you, like, with a lot of this stuff, and we'll go down the rabbit hole in a second, uh, like, what's the Doc Parsley steps to, you know, like, becoming superhuman uh, <laughs> sleep is basically what Yeah, so, I mean, the, I, I say this a million times to every client I work with, and in every lecture I, I put this out over and over again. The number one factor is actually valuing sleep. Like, if you if you really want to sleep and you really value it and you really believe that it's going to help you, you'll get better at it. Um, so if you're not, if we haven't reached that step yet, then you know, get on Google, get on Google Scholar, start digging in, start finding the evidence, go read tons of people's blogs about sleep, look, look at all the stuff in the media, convince yourself that you actually need to sleep more. That's the first step. Uh, you know, the next step is to set up your life to where, you know, if you actually value it, now you need to set up your life to where it's just as important as every other aspect of your life. Um, and if you want to break it down into sort of like the pillars of health, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're going to, if you're going to change your diet, what do you do? You get rid of all of the shit in your house and you only put good food in your house, you know, for effort discounting. You're more likely to steam the broccoli in your refrigerator if there's not a pint of ice cream in the freezer uh, when you come home from work, right? So same thing is true for sleep, like set up your life to have a sleep and, you know, sleep conducive environment. Um, and you know, it's all of the normal stuff that people talk about, sleep hygiene, decreasing the light in your eyes and so forth. Um, you know, a caveat I throw in there, and you know, I, I didn't come up with this. I've heard it from multiple other uh, people that I've studied under. You set an alarm clock uh, to tell you that it's time to start getting ready for bed, right? And that, that alarm clock is just as important as the alarm clock that gets you up for, for work, and, and it's no bullshit when you get up. Uh, in the morning, you know, when your alarm clock goes off, you've set that probably to be about the last minute you can get out of bed. So you do the same thing with your alarm clock. When this goes off at night, everything goes off, man. The computers go off, the television goes off, the lights go down to dim. You start doing your your sleep ritualization, and we can talk more about what that means um, after a while. Uh, you know, further in the in the podcast, if you guys want. Um, and you know, number three then would would be then just to set up your your bedroom ideally, and, and you know that would be the the cool 
uh, cool dark room, like you know, 68 degrees is actually the kind of ideal temperature to sleep at, and obviously complete blackness like caves. So, like those those three things are like the super low hanging fruit, and you can spin off for an hour on on uh, you know 15 different tangents on each one of those steps. But uh, you know that that's the three things. First, value it. Second, like set up a real ritual around it. And third, make sure you have an environment that's actually conducive for sleep. What uh, would you say that uh, for like many people, uh, like a good indicator if they're getting enough sleep is that they can wake up, uh, you know, without an alarm clock? Would you believe that? Well, I, I think that depends uh, on a, on a lot of variables. Like if you're a shift worker, you're you know you're screwed. Obviously, to some degree, we can't completely mitigate against that, but it's probably unlikely you're ever going to get yourself to the point where you can wake up refreshed without an alarm clock. Um, there's also going to be, you know, just like with your nutrition and your fitness, there's going to be cycles in life where, you know, things just aren't ideal um, and uh, you're, you're not always going to get quite enough sleep. And then you know, there's going to be times, uh, just like your nutritional uh, needs and your exercise capacity vary from sort of day to day, week to week, your sleep needs change, uh, you know, within a, you know, a standard deviation as well, um, and you know it may just happen that you're like in stage three or four sleep when you actually need to be waking up, and it's just not going to happen, you know, um, it, just because of the cycles of that night. Maybe you went to sleep a little later. Maybe you worked out a little later in the day. Your cortisol was a little higher. It took you longer to get into lower levels of sleep. Like who knows? And you know, in an ideal world, yeah, if you could be on a on a perfect schedule, getting up with the sun and going down with the sun, then yeah. But um, you know, I a big stressor is if you try to tell people to try to uh, live their life without uh, an alarm clock. It's you know, it's um, it's kind of like telling people to weigh and measure their food. It, it just probably creates more anxiety uh, than it's worth. You so know, I, uh, we, I, we train as a group at uh, 6 a.m. And um, we've been doing that for, geez, like four or five months, and what's been pretty, or even longer than that. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I wake up every morning at like 5.15 without an alarm clock yeah. for the last three or four right months. Right before the alarm goes off. Not yeah, every like, day for me. I haven't set an alarm in three or four months, and, uh, you know, I try to, and like, but the, the deal is if I'm not in bed before 9 o'clock, like, if I, you know, like this morning I, I went to bed a little late because the kids were up crying, but... Um, Dude, yeah, I was a wreck. I mean, even that like one hour of sleep oh, yeah. on the front end—it's it's almost as if uh, the sleep on the front end, that when you first get into bed, that first you know like two or three hours is more valuable. Because like I, I can think of the times where I've been in bed at nine and I've woken up at five and felt fine, opposed from like going to bed at ten or eleven and waking up at like six or seven. So would you yeah. say that like certain sleep within the cycle is almost more valuable? That sleep on the front end is more valuable than sleep on the back end. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely for where you know for the reasons that uh, like for your goals, I know are you know largely based around uh, physical performance and all all that type of stuff. Um, so you're really like you know the the cherished moments for you are all the anabolic sleep cycle, uh, you know the the anabolic parts of the histogram, which is God. I love when you talk dirty, Doc. Keep going. <laughs> the the stages three and four of the sleep, um, and you know the. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't want to get too complex here, but if you tie it into the circadian rhythm, um, and you and and you are actually, uh, you know, 
probably not using the sun as your cue, but kind of using the sun as, as your cue to deal with uh, your light intake in your houses and so forth. Um, you know, if your circadian rhythm is kind of set in a zone and you're waking up at the same time every day, and then you go to sleep a little later in your circadian rhythm than you ordinarily do, then it changes the sleep architecture. Um, and the and the first half of the night is when you get most of the stages, uh, stage three and four sleep. When you get, like, in the second half of the night uh, of sleep, that's primarily the REM sleep. Uh, and more stage two sleep, which is where you're you're doing a lot more of the neurocognitive aspect of, of replenishing neurotransmitters and consolidating uh, memories and uh, forming durable paths in your brain and all that type of stuff. So uh, definitely, if, if you if you push that back, and even if you get uh, you know you get one hour less sleep, and maybe that's that's still pretty close to your optimal. Like you know, say you need to sleep seven and a half hours. Uh, you know, sort of as a bare minimum, and you're ordinarily getting eight hours, and you go down to seven hours. Like that, that that could just get rid of you know maybe 20% of your uh, of your anabolic sleep pattern, right? Uh, say just three and four, and but you're probably getting all of the REM sleep. So, um, well, is there something like um, you know, like when I would go, uh, you know, like we run into two things with people. One is uh, everybody lives like everything day to day so if they fuck up one day all of a sudden there's this anxiety and um, I remember years ago uh, you know when I first started uh, you know uh, befriended uh, Dr. Dave Pasquale uh, we started talking about you know calories and he started really like hey John I want you to think about you know your calories and sleep and all these things over the course of a week or longer timelines so that way you don't get stuck in like the minutia of a single day where like hey if one day you overeat we'll just undereat a little day and just kind of get some balance and he goes, it takes a lot of pressure off. And for me, in terms of, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, trying to gain weight, trying to, you know, lean out, all these things, like looking at things over a bigger scale. So I took that same uh, application. I used it to sleep. And I started talking about, like, things like a sleep bank where, you know, like, let's say, hey, you know, if I want to get eight hours and all of a sudden you go to bed uh, an hour later, then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're minus an hour. And then at some point you have to try to make up for that hour. And so I like is sleep cumulative yeah, throughout like, the course well, of the yeah, week? Yeah, I, I just called it like a sleep bank. Like on a Saturday, if I'm like down three hours, and you know what, i got to get a three-hour nap. And what was nice about that and uh, the reports I got back from a lot of people was it um, it actually helped kind of relieve this anxiety a little bit of like, oh, my God, I went to bed late. I'm totally screwed for the day. And it's like, you know what, hey, you know what, I, uh, you know, life gets in the way, so I'm gonna, I, I didn't get as much today, so I'm going to try to get to bed a little earlier tomorrow. Um and it, it seems to work. I just wonder from your perspective if, uh, you know... If, if, if it's effective. Yeah, if that's an effective deal. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, exactly, that's exactly how I approach essentially all the lifestyle modifications. I mean, the, the most assured path to failure is to try to do everything perfectly every single day, every single minute. Um, you know, if you're, if you're just creating these huge anxiety cycles around... You know whether you got it exactly 76 grams of protein today, and you know weighing, measuring all your food, and you know uh, calculating every workout on a power meter or heart rate variability training, and all, like all, and you just you go too far down the rabbit hole, and then it's it's too easy to feel defeated. It's too easy to feel like you've done something wrong. And I'm very much a macrobiologist, man. It's like. Um, you know, all of there's tons of super super smart guys out there geeking out on the the smallest little molecular shift, DNA epigenetic shift on on anything you can think about. 
Um, and there's probably a lot of brilliance in there that's going to you know, culminate to some kind of great idea later. Uh, but for right now, I just say, hey, I don't know the answer any more than anybody else. Like there's, there's a ton of new information out there that's coming out literally every minute. There's something being published that could be life-altering in the way I practice medicine or the way you approach your health. But for now, you know, let's just stick with the with the big overall pictures. Um, and what you talk about the sleep bank, you know, and, and sleep medicine, we call that sleep debt, um, which is just like your credit card debt. And we don't know how long you carry around that debt, but we know it has to be paid back. Um, and so, you know, the, the big question is, you know, if I sleep deprived myself for you know, 10 years uh, in college and then you know, clawing my way up to middle management. Now I'm, you know, now I'm kind of in a comfortable zone. Uh, how much do I have to sleep to pay that sleep debt back? And we don't truly know the answer to that, but this, there's been some pretty fascinating studies about, uh, you know, where they take guys and they, they put them in these completely, uh, you know, they, they've done it in bunkers, they've, uh, they've done it in caves, they've done it in like, uh, you know, just buildings that they convert out and make these completely dark rooms and put people in the, in the in complete darkness with uh, nothing but a bed and a, and a, and a toilet. And uh, they put them in there 14 hours a day, let them out for 10 hours a day, put them back in 14 hours a day. And the average person sleeps like 12 and a half hours. Uh, for the first three to four weeks and then slowly starts kind of titrating down and then you know somewhere between sort of weeks five and six they're sleeping eight hours a day uh, eight, and a, eight and a half maybe um, and it, it averages out for adults to be somewhere around seven and a half hours which means that they're laying around in a completely dark cool room for six and a half hours a day and not falling asleep which you know, most people couldn't do that. Which means that most of us are carrying a sleep debt to some degree. That's amazing. So uh, they can calculate, like they. Well, I guess you can infer through that experiment that that you can calculate how long it would take you to make up the deficit. Well, it, it's obviously unique for each individual. I just, yeah. Like, like I, I just start laughing thinking about uh, where do I sign up. Like if you're yeah. like, hey, hey John, we're gonna lock you out in this bunker, and you have to sleep for 14 hours a day. Dude, if, uh, if I, I could, yeah, if, if I could, if I could find a way for that to be fiscally and socially <laughs> acceptable, I would. I could have the most uh, fascinating sleep center in the world, man, and just cycle people through this camp. If they did nothing else but came for six weeks and caught up on their sleep debt. You would revolutionize people's Dude, lives, I, man. That might be the like, like to me, people be like, oh, so like, what's your dream vacation? And I'm like, Doc Percy, six, sleep, six uh, weeks of sleep. 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 <laughs> so there is um, there is a very sad thing that I should mention. Sky Mall, the magazine, unfortunately, is uh, has gone under. No. Yeah, I know. Uh, but there's a point to the story, and that um, the last Sky Mall. A little issue they had out the sleeping pods, right? And I, yeah, I doc, I would be your ideal patient because I am one of those people who at 8:30 I get sleepy and then I start to turn my lights down or off, and I change, like I make sure that uh, there's something in my ears blocking from extraneous sounds and stuff because I just I can't get into sleep mode unless I do that, and when I do, I feel amazing. I sleep great, sleep in the dark, and when I saw these pods, I thought. What an amazing seven thousand dollar investment this would be 
Um, and honestly, like those those little pods, I would test them. I know there's a few around here where you can. I can't wait for you to have kids. Oh my! I, I never, I, never. I cannot. You mean those sleep-sucking to... parasites? Let me tell you, dude. Children sleep are the are the sleep sucky sleep best. Dry. I hope that you have four kids. Nope. And that like so, eight thirty at night, I'd start turning the lights as down. As soon as I have kids, I say, room. "Hey, every man for yourself." Oh, you know what? Like, That's it. oh god. And then take care of yourself. I hope I hope you have kids. I wish kids. Dude, are. my. I, I have three kids, and my my youngest is uh, my 11-year-old daughter. She goes to bed at 8:30, and after that, it's like the boys the boys know what time they're supposed to go to bed, and hopefully they do it. But dad's going to bed anyway, so it's like, uh, yeah. sorry, man. It's like nope. no I've done my no job up to here. You're 14, you're 16. Like you got it from here, buddy. Like exactly. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna suffer in the morning. I'm getting you up whether you went to bed on time or not. Uh, yeah, but I, of course, emphasize to them how important that is. But, yeah, I mean, th- there's a great stat on that. There, there's studies that have been recreated multiple times. It's like uh, the first two years um, after a kid is born, the parents will lose on average six months of sleep uh, in those first two years. So that's you know, <laughs> 20, 25% of your sleep. That's Doc, good enough birth Doc, control for me. Doc, when we uh, when we had the twins, I think I, I I think for the first three months I didn't sleep longer than something like crazy. It was like forty five minute shifts is what we slept in. Cause the kids ate every three hours, so the kids yeah. eat every three hours. You have to wake them up, change them, feed them, and then you change them again. And then you put them back down, and then you lay down. And you Dude, get kids for an are hour. so needy. Oh, were you breastfeeding, John? Yeah, my, my, my that, that's why those pecs are so big, dude. I thought that, that was all muscle. It's uh, not for my just wife, show. My wife exclusively breastfed those kids for six months. Yeah. So what, were, what were you doing up? My, well, <laughs> this is called assistant coach. Oh, so like, yeah. like, yeah, like, yeah, like, because like she fed them at the same time. So you have to have somebody that gets up, kind of like gets them all ready and gets them into place, and then you get the other one, and then they start feeding, and then you lay back down, and then they're like, when they're done. You, you kind of burp them, change them, put them back down, That's then you copy. crash out. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I never rough. thought of that. I never thought of that. But probably twins would be twice as bad um, for what for what you're saying. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I counsel a lot of married couples on this. You know, that's a, that's one of the big objections I get is like, well, you know, the, we got the kids, blah blah blah. This is, and I'm like, all right, well, you know, you guys can both die together, uh, you know, <laughs> American dream, or you can take shifts and you can both survive this, right? And it's like mm-hmm. the, your life's going to really suck for three days, and then my life's going to really suck for three days. But you know, we're going to maintain our health uh, and sanity through this. But with twins, I think. Yeah, you're kind of screwed. I never really thought of that. We, you're kind of up at we the had to hire. Uh, we we had to hire these doula ladies to come in, and they came in three nights a week just so I could sleep. Or like, cause like, dude, at one point I was like hallucinating, and my wife yeah. was too. And the the, the doula ladies, uh, the first like, day, no, they you really in, do have twins. They you're not were, hallucinating. Uh, <laughs> uh, they were both. Uh, both these ladies walk in, and I see them, and this was crazy. I go meet them. They're easily 350 pounds. And like talking wow. with them, their breath smelled it's like burnt like carbohydrates. That's because they're they and, like uh, and, and I'm sitting yeah. there talking with them and I was like no looking sleep. at like and I was like, So how oh yeah, you know, we do this. I'm like, Do you do this every night? Oh yeah, you know, I get like one night off a week and I'm like So basically I'm 
paying you to take care of my kids so that I can really just erode the... How does the, that make the you feel? They're going to die early. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, right. you're paying... Yeah, that's assisted suicide. You're yeah. Kind of hey, and, and you know what? It was the only way we made it was, was those dual ladies coming because, I mean, like... Uh, you want to make an omelet, yeah. you got to break some eggs. Yeah, you know? like, yeah exactly. I, I felt so bad for the one lady that I ended up hiring Chelsea, who works for us, to train her. And she's like, I really need to get back shape. I was like, you know what? I'll pay for the training just to uh, try to like offset my guilt about the fact that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, uh, like just seeing those ladies and like talking to them and being like, yeah, I'm really struggling losing weight, and they like give me all that. I'm having all these health problems. I'm like, oh, this is uh, this is a case study. So I always thought like, if you were ever gonna really go like check for like sleep deprived people, you try to find like uh, like like wet nurses or doulas or somebody that take care of other people's kids because, dude. <laughs> Like that would be yeah. the perfect person for it. So, well, so go ahead. If you, if you just look at the, you know, there there have been studies, like really long term, pretty robust studies with uh, with nurses uh, that work night shift, and it's it's just a matter of fact. Like your 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 risk of cancer is significantly higher. Your risk of all causes of morbidity, mortality, are way higher. Uh, you know, you're I think like three times as likely to have diabetes, three times as likely to be obese. Um, I get, I mean, it, it's no joke. And, and uh, you know, the, um, you know, the who recognizes sleep as a carcinogen. I mean, it's like, it, it's up there with methyl ethyl ketone and, and toluene. I mean, it's, it's like this, we know this, you know, doesn't cause cancer, but it's highly correlative with cancer, you know. So uh, it, it's, you know, it's not something to be taken lightly, but it's it's the first thing that goes out the window when people start getting crunched for time. Uh, first thing they give up sleep. The next thing they give up is their exercise. Then they give up their n nutrition, and then uh, and then their stress level is just off the chart, and they're not doing anything about that either. And, and then their dignity. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Uh, back to back to the, I. So I got I didn't get very good sleep last night, and when I got out of the shower. I said today is a sweatpants kind of day. <laughs> I was looking for my elastic bottom sweatpants. Okay. Couldn't find them. So I, uh, I yeah, dignity. Slim fit. You're like, yeah, I, you know, I, I took a really long shower yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the first step to take a stanza. That's basically it. <laughs> so, Doc, um, I, did, I am a little bit curious. So we know, like, the, the, the sleep conditions that you mentioned above um, earlier um, about creating that environment and then the sleep rituals that we'll talk about. But, like, what are some, like, extreme examples? I mean, people will go to extremes, but those those pods, I mean, um, things like that, have you seen people have, like, just absurd success in that in that type of environment? Or is it really just one of those things where it's, like, it really doesn't matter if you have a Tempur-Pedic or whatever. You need to have, like, the, the low-hanging fruit, which is the light, um, the sound, and, you know, so did you have any experience with, like, testing people who sleep in, like, you know, even weightless environments, like uh, in those uh, sort of water, uh, salt water? Yeah, so I have, a, I have a lot of clients that have done the, the sensory deprivation chambers. They don't sleep in them, but, you know, that, that's a good, uh, uh, yeah, the, the sympathetic tone regulation. I'm, I don't know if you guys yes. talk much about that, but, yeah, yeah. so that, that's great for balancing parasympathetics, which mm -hmm. helps with rest, which helps with recovery, which helps with sleep, and all, all sorts of things. I don't know anybody who sleeps in them. I do know there's pods like uh, the Huffington Post and a lot of these uh, really uh, tech-savvy, um, you know, millennial-type companies like Google and so forth have have those pods through their 
for their folks to take naps in during the day. Um, and you know, I, I think there's not a smarter investment you could make as a as a corporation. You know, do you need to go that crazy with with your bedroom? I don't think so. Um, I mean, like, I mean, if you think about it, like you know, evolutionarily. You know, just a hundred years ago, the you know the average American was spending ten and a half hours in bed a night. Uh, you know, we, by and large, for most of our of our evolution, we slept kind of in two blocks in the night. We were awake for a couple of hours, and you know, people were obviously sleeping on dirt floors and you know rocks and all kinds of crap, and and uh, you know, surviving with better health than we have today. But there's obviously a lot more. Um, environmental uh, toxins, you know, it's, it's a lot more of a, of a health hostile world we're living in now probably too. So uh, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big advocate of any sort of one sleeping system as far as mm -hmm. beds and so forth go. Um, basically if, if you find it comfortable, um, you know, and, and it's, uh, you're not waking up with aches and pains or, you know, flip-flopping around every two minutes to get comfortable or, get, or to get cool. Uh, one of the problems that that does happen with the Tempur-Pedics a lot um, is uh, you know they maintain a lot of body heat, um, and you know one of the reasons that you move around in bed at night is to find a cool spot because one of the normal things that happens in in uh, night in nocturnal sleep is your your body temperature goes down. Uh, daytime naps, your body temperature actually goes up. So huh. if your if your body temperature starts climbing in the middle of the night, you're more likely to wake up or have restless sleep or lower levels, uh, lower quality of sleep. Um, so that's one of the complaints I hear with Tempur-Pedic, but that's not true for everybody. Um, you know, I don't know if it's uh, because you know because of my SEAL training or because of you know sleep depriving myself for 10 years. I can. You know, I could sleep on a on a thorn bush and and be fine, like no problems. Um, <laughs> other too. people, Me other too. people are like super super geeked out, like need need the perfect environment to get like uh, a good night's sleep. So again, it's it's an individualized thing, um, but I mean it. You know, in the long run, I w that if I were going to uh, continually pursue one area of my life uh, that wasn't optimal, you know, sleep if 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 sleep was my my nemesis, I don't think there's, you know, I I would be riding a bicycle and selling my car to get you know to get a sleep pod if I had to, or like as far as I needed to go to get quality sleep is, is where I would I would put that at the top, um, just because yeah. it, it impacts everything so much and so rapidly. Um, yeah, they, these guys, they think I'm super eccentric no, I, for it, but you know what? When I start Benjamin buttoning and going back <laughs> looking younger every day. Yeah. Well, uh, well, grab these up. I've had a, uh, a, <laughs> a, uh, or I had a sleep number bed, and then I got a Tempur-Pedic bed, and I love my Tempur-Pedic bed. Yeah. I have, oh a, God, yeah, I have like an off-brand Tempur-Pedic. Um, so, so what's nice, though, is uh, he's uh, Doc's right. Like it, uh, If you sleep with like too many covers, you'll get warm. So like I'll like either... Like for, I know it sounds crazy, but I sleep actually on top of the covers for like probably seven or eight months out of the year, and then when it gets really you know, cold at this time, I'll actually sleep yeah, underneath 60. the blanket. <laughs> and um, but yeah, like like if there's too many blankets on there, I'm like, <sighs> and I look yeah. over at my poor wife who's uh, got like five blankets on and a scarf, and she's sleeping, a and I'm scarf? like, yeah, my wife sleeps with a scarf on. She's so cold. And she's oh like, my god! Whereas I, I'm like laying, and she's like, uh, she's like laying there, like in like uh, flannel pajamas with like a scarf on underneath the blankets, and I'm laying on top wow. of the bed, and she's like, "That is so weird." I'm like, "No, you're weird. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that Tempur-Pedic is, um, for me, for, for me personally, uh, like, I love it. Like, I think it's the best bet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I, I think a guy as heavy as you, you know, probably, I, I would guess would do better on a, on a bed like that. I think once you get to the internal spring mattresses, no matter how, how elaborate, they make them. It's just going to create a ton of pressure points for you know for a really heavy guy. Like um, you know when when you you know uh, my wife and I obviously sleep on the same mattress. We don't have one of those dual zone things, and I'm literally almost twice as much as her. So I have no idea how that experience for her could be anything like it is for me. It seems but like you don't care because you're sleeping. So yeah, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just I'm crashed out, and she's trying to wake me up to stop snoring and. You know, <laughs> You're like, go fuck yourself. Hey, Duck, what do you think about these uh, sleeping apps that track your sleep? I mean, Luke thinks he's better than me in most areas, but, you know, he gets worse sleep than me. And That's he, a fact. And, and, he tr and he tracks <laughs> his, his terrible sleep every day. So yeah. what's the validity of these things? I mean, I guess if you don't implement any changes based on it, then, you know, you're you're sort of you're, you know, uh, up the creek without a paddle, as it were. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I think it's, you know, it's probably analogous to the heart rate very or to the heart rate monitor training if you're sure. an endurance athlete or something. Like it's it's a tool, um, mm -hmm. and if it causes you to pay more attention to your sleep, then I'm all for it. Uh, you know, the I think the quagmire we're in with with all these wearable devices is that by and large, there's a lot of people collecting a lot of data that they don't really know how to take action on, um, and so. You know, what you know? What do you if if it's causing you to be aware and it's giving you and and you have some resources to help you figure out what that means and how to implement some changes to optimize that? Then they're great. Um, if you're just kind of tracking it and going, yeah, my sleep sucks. Yeah, my sleep sucks. Yeah, my or, sleep yeah. Sucks. Like, or it gives you anxiety. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I ate ten thousand calories today. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Still fat. Look in the mirror. Yep. Still fat. Like you know. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, and. So, what my primary use for them is one, it does have the alarm clock for like get ready for bed, built yeah. in based off your yeah. you set your wake up time. And two, supposedly, and I don't know, some days it works, some days it doesn't. There, there's a you provide a a, um, a variance to your wake up time. Let's say it's 15. Yeah, a wake the wake up range. Yeah. Yeah, and it's supposed yeah. to give you like try to wake you in the most optimal phase of that. Your sleep phase cycle. Of sleep yeah, cycle. that's uh, what's that? What's that? Now? It, it's just called sleep. It's not yeah, yeah I, I think I have that one. Yeah, I, I started using it, and then I got anxiety because, or I exactly. got anxiety, but I started like feeling shitty because I was like, God damn it, I only got three and a half hours of REM sleep, but and then my brother was using it, it's like, oh, I got, you got four. You got the data for it though. Yeah, that's but I, that part I don't much. I kind of pay attention to it, but I, I just don't believe that it's perfect. So I yeah, just so, use it for the alarms. So when when I when I say when I say deep sleep and like when when a sleep doctor which you know I, I want to distinguish I'm not a sleep doctor They're, that's a specialization that does the you know the polysomnographs and they deal with the obstructive sleep apnea and CPAP titration and all that type of stuff um, you know I'm I'm just a physician that values sleep a lot and, and coaches a lot around it um, so it's, it's it's a slightly different gig. Um, but you know, when I say deep sleep, I'm using it in the medical sense, which means if you know if we if we track your brain waves, uh, you're in you're in deep sleep, you're in theta or delta brainwave state, which is stages three and four of sleep. Um, 
what the what all these wearable devices and, and the iPhone apps are doing, you know, it's an actigraphy thing. It's basically using an accelerometer to see if you're moving around, um, and it's calling any low activity level deep sleep. Mm -hmm. um, but you're not actually paralyzed in stages three and four of sleep. You are paralyzed in REM sleep. Um, so it's it's essentially you know REM sleep is deep sleep and stages three and four you're you know you don't move around much so that's being called deep sleep as well. So um, there there are some that correlate pretty well to what you would expect a hypnogram or a, a sleep study to look like. Um, if you add the heart rate variability component to that. Um, that's a much better indicator of, of whether or not you're actually in stages three and four sleep. And again, the like these things are, um, I think, very usefully growing towards um, diagnostic tools. I think we're we're still, you know, a little bit away from the lay audience knowing what to do with that data and how to interpret that data. Uh, and that's that's kind of I. It, plus, I have dogs that jump in and out of my bed. I got my girlfriend sleeping in the bed, and she's flopping around yeah. like dead fish. Yeah. So I, I just mostly it's the alarm function. I, I get them. I use the most. But. So not to backtrack, but uh, I did want to talk a little bit more about your uh, ex experience treating the seals when you did that. And uh, if you, you know, I guess just curious um, if you have seen any. Uh, I guess injuries that were repetitive, things that came to you, and you were just like, "This is a, this is definitely like a sea change that's occurring within like the SEAL community. Like these injuries keep popping up. Is there anything that you could see in their training that would that kind of alarmed you in terms of like the strength and conditioning aspect? Uh, the strength and conditioning aspect affecting their their uh, joint health or their sleep? Uh, not their sleep, because I think we. We sort Just of touch on that. I mean, obvi of, yeah. obviously, this is like, like a can of worms. I mean, there yeah. is innumerable kind of overuse injuries and things like that. But yeah. uh, you know, if you could speak on that. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, John, you know, John's experience is pretty parallel. I mean, it, it's um, uh, it, it's a it's an unrealistic idea to uh, train as hard and as frequently with the type of intensity. Uh, pushing through injuries. Uh, obviously, there's no season, so like you're you're kind of always you're kind of always in season. You're always trying to be peaked, um, you know. And to try to do that for 20 years for a 20-year career is just a completely unrealistic idea. Um, however, like we need guys to do that because it takes you know 10 years to be a really good SEAL and to be able to teach younger SEALs how to be SEALs. And and it's not exclusive to the SEAL teams, obviously, and not even exclusive to Spec War. Um, you know, it's corporate knowledge. You're getting you know you're getting smarter and better at the job. Um, and you know, there's there's not a there's not a SEAL out there that doesn't have multiple uh, overuse injuries and multiple uh, you know chronic chronic uh, joints, uh, joint problems, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's uh, you know, the, I'd say the, the initiation training of BUDS just um, by and large destroys people's shoulders and, and C-spines. I mean, uh, to, to find a SEAL without, so without uh, pretty significant uh, joint laxity um, or impingements in their shoulders and without significant uh, C-spine and Arthritis after being in the in the teams for ten or fifteen years is pretty rare, um, and then 
you know, they've actually gotten smarter. Um, you know, you may know, you may have heard the story of uh, I was involved with uh, building uh, the the first sports medicine center out there on the west coast. You know, we hired you know our first nutritionist, and we hired uh, Josh Everett as our first strength and conditioning coach. We pulled in. Uh, an Olympic training center uh, exercise physiologist. Um, we brought in some athletic trainers, physical therapists, and all this. And you know, for the really for the first time, and this was 2009, right? When we were, when we were building this thing, you know, uh, this seals had been around for nearly 50 years at that time. Um, so, like in uh, for a lot, uh, you may and you may have heard the story that you know the it's, it was like uh, three seals that kind of invented the whole idea of a triathlon, and so. Um, Though, like that type of activity is has been around for a long time. Just run, 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 swim, swim, run, swim, run, 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 run swim. You know, do pull-ups, do tons of body uh, body weight activity. And you know, for for guys like me, um, even bigger guys like John, like um, you know, doing you know doing push-ups in the hundreds and thousands per day is just not a good idea for your, your joints and doing pull-ups at that level is just not a not a good idea for I your mean joints. not a good idea it's like an understatement yeah. it's absurd yeah for those of you guys listening dude, just this is the one thing that just uh, like, like all, all the training stuff for buds uh, you know you can say what you want but the mere fact that you have to run uh, three miles each day per meal so it, it's a mile and a half from where you eat to where they train so you, yeah. you eat you run a mile and a half. You train. You, you then you run back and you eat. And like so, those guys are running something like nine miles a day just for chow. Minimum. And well, yeah. I mean, that's just to eat. Like yeah, that's that, that's not training at all. And oftentimes you don't you don't even have time to eat because you're running behind <laughs> on schedule. So your your whole class runs over there, and one guy runs in and signs your class in, and then you all just run back. Uh, and then you, you you jump into the next evolution, and it's maybe a timed run. You know, who knows? So. Uh, it's, <laughs> It, like it's it's definitely not meant to to be a, a program to produce big strong uh, athletes. It's 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 a total beatdown to see who's going to quit and uh, and then and then we'll train you later is the idea I guess. Do you do you struggle with that like uh, from I guess your professional slash moral but yet your understanding of the necessity that it creates within that that environment because it really is like I guess I mean it's supposed to it's supposed to find the weak and it's supposed to find how how people work together or turn on each other and so I mean like how do you struggle with that yeah so you know this is a discussion that we've had uh, many times um, and you know I, I could I could go on ad nauseum about uh, you know the the programs we've been trying to develop around this and the mindset shifts we're trying to develop around this um, and in there I think there needs to be a delineation between you're training to become a seal, and hey, now you're a seal. Let's let's be smarter about things. Um, and I and we're getting there. We're you know we're starting to shift some of the younger guys, um, but you know by and large most most guys come out of seal training and they think well you know this is what they did to me to create the seal in me to make me a seal. So this is what I need to keep doing to be a seal. Um, and but it's it's a completely different process, right? I mean as you say. You know, we're, we're using this to select people who are really good at suffering uh, and that are really resilient. Um, and that's really all we're, we're, really all we're selecting out for. Uh, I mean, you don't have to be a phenomenal athlete to get through BUDS. I mean, you have to be a reasonably good 
uh, athlete, you have to be a reasonably good endurance athlete, and you have to have a reasonable amount of strength. But I mean, you don't have to be anywhere near world class on anything uh, right. to make it through training. You just have to be really resilient. You have to be able to suffer really well and pretend like you're not suffering and work through pain and work through disappointment and work through stress and all that. And that's all we're selecting for. But you know, once you're a SEAL, that's not what we want out of you anymore, right? Like we, like we want somebody who's smart, somebody who's thinking, somebody who's solving problems, somebody who's you know, training specifically for the type of work they do. Uh, you know, when I was a SEAL, we did tons of these of uh, combat swimmer training. You know, probably like 18 weeks out of the year, we're you know we're doing these uh, you know we're doing three you know three hour dives a day in you know 35 degree water, um, and you know we needed to do that because that was what seals were known for at the time, and that was what really distinguished us from everybody else. There's not a whole lot of combat swimming going on in Afghanistan and Iraq and all that <laughs> stuff. So, uh, you know, these guys need a totally different kind of training. Um, and and I think we're getting there. We're we're starting to see a shift. Um, you know, Josh has done a great job in going in there and focusing on mobility, which nobody even thought about before. Like, I can't tell you how many seals literally can't touch their toes. Uh, you know, at 25 years old, and you're just like, what? You know, how in the hell can you, you know, do you get by in life? Uh, like, who ties your shoes for you? Um, uh, and hey, uh, hey, Doc, you didn't uh, you you didn't do SDB, did you? No. God, I'm, surprised, no. I'm, I'm surprised as big as you are that they didn't push you right out to that. <laughs> uh, I I lucked out, man. A lot of my class ended up going to SDV, um, and a lot of my class ended up going to uh, SEAL Team 8 because they just formed SEAL Team 8, so they kind of stocked it with with my class. Um, and I, I think out of uh, out of my entire class, only like three guys stayed on the West Coast, and I was one of those three somehow. So. Uh, I, I think it's just kind of a random thing, but um, I was very glad to not be at SDV because at that time it was in San Diego. Now that it's in Hawaii, it wouldn't be nearly as bad. But uh, you know. so for for those of you guys listening, there's a section of Naval Special Warfare called SDV, which is Sealed Delivery Vehicles. And any of you guys have ever seen in a movie like uh, uh, what was the well, you know, one of those movies you'll see. They're basically oh, I've seen the commercials where they like have those little rovers that come up onto the. Well, no, they're they're actually like a mini sub, and they're and they're launched out of submarines. So there's a, a whatever the movie. Sub within a sub. Yeah, it's like a little movie, a little mini sub that these guys drive, and they uh, like. They'll yeah, but but they're they're not dry. That's that's the important no, thing. No, <laughs> you're in like full like wetsuit deal, and the and it's like an open water. Deal. Oh. So it's like a yeah. little little car, and these I've guys seen will Raider. do. Yeah. You know, 12, 13 hours underwater. Yeah, uh, it's, deal. it's so ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's, and and so the, these guys are basically driving at pitch black, and all and all you're doing is looking at like a little sonar. And the guy yeah. in the back is you know laminated magazines reading. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think it's pretty badass. I no, def it's, it's definitely badass. You do wonder though. I have to be sort of devil's advocate and speak for the masses. Like you do sort of wonder how practical some of that is, and then how. How many like dudes are just sitting around because they are so excited about like doing stuff like that that they sort of create the necessity? I mean, I don't no, mean to well, discredit those, anything, so, but I just there is a part of me that's like. So the SDB really? guys, uh, those guys are, are um, operate more than any other SEAL team, so they're always constantly yeah. operating. So what their, yeah, their they, deal is that they can be anywhere in the world yeah. twenty four hours. It's cool. And uh, I believe it, and well. I would never know about it, obviously. So yeah, they. Um, uh, so I've, I've been over there and worked with those guys, and uh, they are the tip of the spear stuff, and, and definitely. But I mean, it, it's the craziest job when they wheeled the, the little mini sub out and they explained to me what they did, 
I was like, got this like sick feeling in my stomach, and I was like, so you guys are underwater for like 13, 14 hours at a time? They're like, yeah, well, we do these and this. It's a bit above and, average. It's crazy. Ba- basic, basically in a bobsled, like you're, you're, yes. in a, you're in a bobsled for you know, 13 hours, yeah. It, with a propeller on the back, in yeah, the dark, driving, yeah. look, looking at a little sonar radar screen, hoping to guide you a question or something. That's scary. Yeah. And and even the combat swimmer ops when we were doing you know when we were doing a lot of that training you know you just have this little plastic board that has a watch on it and a compass and a depth gauge and you have this whole thing memorized in your head like you know these eight different legs that you're you know you're going to swim on this azimuth at this depth for this long and then you're going to turn and it's not like you come up and look where you're at you know you're navigating through these harbors uh, underwater just staring at this little board and that's the cool job. Uh, you know, the shitty job is the buddy who's just like holding on, you know, to your, uh, you know, your lanyard together, and he's just like kind of holding on to the lanyard, the hoping you're, yeah, hoping you're going to the right place, you know. Yeah. And it's like, All right, well, hopefully this guy knows what he's doing, and we're going to be out here a long time. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. So, Doc, in, in your in your studies and your experience with a variety of patients or the team guys or whatever. Uh, I guess to relate over to our side of it, there's um, there's have you who are the cases of the n equals one? Like for example, John talks about playing with guys who eat chicken nuggets and crush Dr Pepper, and like their diet's nothing but juice, chicken nuggets, and salt. But they're shredded and they're the most athletic guys, and you'd swear they're in the weight room 24 hours a day, dialed in. You know, is does that is that case exist for the sleep side of it? Like, are there guys who are like uh you know, I really don't have to sleep for three days. And truly, uh, I guess biologically, when you, when you take a look at them, the it outliers. doesn't. Yeah, the outliers, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, like you know, to answer the the chicken McNugget guys, we just, you know we we just kill those guys, we drown them because we fucking hate them. Um, <laughs> like no, those those guys exist in the teams too, and it, 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 one of them's parsley. No, I'm not. I am not. That is fucking bullshit, dude. I am Her, not. Hartley doesn't lift weights and he'll go in like for like three days in a row and bench like 500 pounds. Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. nah Were you also like a high school state like sprint champion or something? Rob Wolf was was, was spitting folklore of Kirk Parsley and. Uh, well, I uh, I think for for uh, for for two track seasons, I was the fastest white boy in the in the state of Texas. But um, you know. Uh, that was in one distance. I would, it was the we, what we called the 220 then, obviously, because we did it in yards. But you know, the 200 meters, I, would, I was I was pretty good at that. I was pretty good at the at, uh, shot put. But um, you know, my my main gig was football. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm. But I've I've uh, you know, I think it'd be a stretch to say I've ever really been shredded. Even when I was at six percent body fat, I wasn't shredded. Um, I'm just not kind of built that way. Um, but uh, to answer the sleep question, the the, uh, the I think there are there are definitely outliers in in the sleep. Uh, I don't think they're any more prevalent in the SEAL teams than they are anywhere else. Uh, this is an article that always gets thrown at me, especially in the corporate world when I work with these C level guys or you know these uber wealthy dudes who've built all these companies. Like, well, you know, there's this study that. Uh, certain people only need five hours of sleep per night, blah blah blah. Um, and I and I have to tell them no. You know, you're you're reading the New York Times version of that. If you actually go back and look at the study, it doesn't say that 
that these guys perform optimally after sleep after five hours of sleep. They just suffer a little less. You know, they still do worse than if they slept adequately. Um, and so everybody breaks down, but it's it's like anything else. Like how quickly do you break down? And that and that That's has yeah, there, uh, there's multi, there's yeah, it's multivariant analysis at that point, right? It's like, you know, your diet's into it at that point. How you handle stress is into it at that point. You know, how much muscle mass you're carrying around for your body to scavenge uh, is, you know, then at that point. Uh, you know, every like everything. You know, um, you know your your joint structures or you know you know being able to maintain joint stability and not have joint pain when you're chronically inflamed. You know there's you know there's all sorts of uh, variation to that, but like uh, I don't know of a single seal um, who has managed to say spend 20 years in the seal teams um, and not have uh, significant sleep problems and significant uh, sequelae from chronic chaotic sleep. Uh, yeah. You know when I when I got to the SEAL teams. Um, you know, they were treating everybody's sleep with Ambien, and it was just, you know, it was purported by the medical community as this completely benign drug that helps you, you know, that just creates sleep and you'll be fine and it's non-addictive. And so SEALs, uh, you know, much like professional athletes, if one is good, two is better, and four must be awesome. So, well, well, let's go game. on. What's the best part about Ambien is if you take it and then you fight the sleep off. So, like, Ambien hits you and it'll put you to sleep pretty fast. But if you fight the sleep off, like is this you what your friend your told up, you? Yeah, my friend. Uh, you'll actually hallucinate. And uh, I had a guy next door to me in who training camp. Who wants to be camp. sleepy and hallucinating? Right. So one of the guys who was next door to me in the dorms in at, uh, when I played for the Chiefs, that was his trick. He, he'd get the ambience and he'd fight him off. And uh, he came in my room. And he's like, there's a uh, there's a troll in my room. Can you come look for him? So, so I, actually, I actually went and looked for it. But uh, he's crazy. So that's that's actually what Ambien does um, is it dissociates you from your environment. So it it doesn't actually uh, it actually has a very very minimal effect on how much total sleep you get, and it does distort sleep architecture. So the quality of sleep you're getting is is nothing like uh, just getting normal natural sleep. Mm. Um, so like I had a I had a client um, who. She was a nurse. Um, well, I take it back. She wasn't a client. She's a friend of mine who's a nurse, um, and uh, she was telling me that her doctor gave her Ambien for her sleep problem uh, because she knew what I did. And she was. We were talking a little bit about it. She wanted to tell me a story. She um, she was divorced, and her kids had been were with her husband, and she took this Ambien, uh, went to sleep, and then woke up in the morning. She's just petite, cute little woman, and she walks downstairs. And her house has just been completely ransacked, and there's crap all over the place. And she's like, "Holy shit!" And runs back upstairs and locks herself in the bedroom and calls 911. And you know, there's an intruder in my house. Blah blah blah. And then they, you know, send the police over, and she comes down and they search the house. And there's like ramen noodle wrappers and cupcake wrappers all over the place and all this shit. And it was her. Like she had gotten up in the middle of the night and was was you know, went downstairs and was cooking and eating all, you know, all of her kids' junk food um, and had no memory of it whatsoever. Um, I this, have heard podcasts about this very phenomenon yeah, occurring. And yeah. people, people have uh, sued companies because they have assaulted yeah, their yeah. spouses or yeah. killed them. 
Yeah, they, they, they had... saw a troll in his room. <laughs> yeah, they came and got I mean... me. And the worst is, I went to look for it because I believed him. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, what half what what is completely feasible is that you can take Ambien, and you know, one of the problems with my job and. and not that sleep's the only thing I do, but one the biggest aspect of, of my biggest problem with getting people to sleep is you you don't have an objective experience of sleep, right? Like you just say, I don't remember, so I must have been sleeping really well. I don't I don't recall anything about being asleep, so it must have been good quality sleep. And what Ambien does is dissociate your you know your neocortex from your lizard brain, so you don't remember that. Your frontal cortex isn't there. You aren't forming memories. And you. So what's completely feasible is you could take an Ambien, lay down in your bed, maybe doze off, maybe look like you're asleep, or maybe not even. I mean, if, you fil if somebody filmed you, you might look like you're awake the whole time. At some point, you become dissociated, which is one of the you know, one of the defining factors of being asleep is no longer being aware of your environment. Um, and you just like you could literally get out of bed, go downstairs, eat a bunch of food, play video games, go back to bed, sleep for two hours, wake up and go, oh, I must have slept all night. That's right? crazy. I don't, they don't have any memory. Party. That sounds insane. <laughs> that sounds insane. Well, um, I wanted to get your perspective on where you think not to, I know that you're not a, can we call it a sleepologist, sleeptometrist, sleep, <laughs> sleepy, sleepyology, um, but I wanted to get your uh, perspective on where you think medicine is headed. Um, you know, if you're pleased, if you're pleased or you think we're all doomed to be uh, on like 40 medications Cue the ominous music. I know. Right? <laughs> I think we're headed to the dumpster. Um, so, <laughs> You know, I, I, I think I, I think that there is a I think there is an awakening amongst a certain cohort of the population. Um, and it, it's by and large the people that you guys deal with. Um, it's it's become I mean, I see sleep in the media a lot, so I see that coming around. Um, I see a lot more talk about nutrition, a lot more you know, a lot more robust analysis of, di of diets that are going out uh, there. You know, you have organizations like uh, Gary Tubbs and Peter Atiyah's uh, NUSI, which is doing some alternative research on nutrition that's not mainstream kind of gigs. So there, there's a cohort moving in the right direction. They're obviously nowhere near well as, uh, as, as established, and they don't have nearly the funding as everybody else. Uh, but I think with with the information age, you know, the access of, of information on, on the internet and every, everybody doing great podcasts and stuff like this and having, you know, uh, premium gated content on people's uh, websites. I think, I think there's, a, there's a possibility of a subset of the population doing really, really well. But I want to distinguish that from the healthcare system. So, you know, I, I think, you know, all of this... Uh, hubbub about uh, the Affordable Health Care Act and all those types of things. You know, I don't really consider um, Western medicine to be health care. It's disease care, right? Um, and disease care is always going to fail. And one of the things that I, that I bring up uh, when, all the, when all these biohackers um, want to tell me about all this crap that, you know, how they're tricking the body into this performance, you know, I, I, I bring up to them, I was like, look, the original biohackers were, was the medical community, right? I mean, 
that that was the whole idea uh, that the baby boomers had was no matter what I do to myself, uh, they're going to come up with this magic pill and it's going to biohack it, right? Like I'm going to get rid of all all of the deleterious effects if my poor lifestyle choices are going to be mitigated by this pill uh, or this next treatment or this next procedure. Um, and biohacking is the same thing, right? Like they're trying to do it with gadgets and devices and stuff, but you're still trying to say, hey, we're smarter than 85 billion years of the Earth's evolution. Like we're gonna, we've got it all figured out. I, I think that that aspect is doomed to fail, and I hope it fails really soon uh, because I think it will increase the health aware. Um, and so, oh, the standardized medicine or the biohacking? Because uh, um, I, I, I know I, I hope that I hope the biohacking uh, kind of fades quickly. I, well, I think the standard until the standard, somebody shows me something with like performance or like actually doing something with this biohacking bullshit, because uh, you know drinking butter in your coffee is not fucking biohacking. No. You know, like fucking fasting is not biohacking. It's called starvation. Supermodels do it in Cali. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and, so like it's, and, and it's, I've, it's, I've even it's, read I've, I've even read you know biohack by sleeping nine hours a night. I'm like, dude, that's that's fucking, fucking that's the biohacking that, I want to get in on. I'm like, dude, that is fucking lifestyle. That's, that's you, normal you evolutionary. Call, you should build a sleep center where we bring people in, and we should call it like biohack sleep bumper hacking. or a bunker. Yeah. Like yeah, a biohack exactly. bunker, uh, bunker. We're gonna biohack you by making you sleep 14 hours a day for six. And weeks. then you like when they're not sleeping, you just hug them and you say it's not your fault. It's not your yeah, fault. Yeah, it's, it's not your no, fault. We go to like a like a like like Big Fat Bob from uh, uh, we go get meatloaf and you get to cry on his big sweaty boobs. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I know Cornelius. That's all he says. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So. So, so the metaphor I always give people is uh, is your your auto insurance, right? So if 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 we start treating healthcare insurance like we do auto insurance or homeowners insurance, then it you know then it has a chance of succeeding. Like the Western world is good at some stuff, right? Uh, if you do end up with cancer, you you, know, you don't want to go see an acupuncturist as your first choice, right? Like you you want to go in and see like what what mainstream things are there? If you get in a car wreck, it's like, yeah, don't, don't, you know, don't take me to a chiropractor if my femur's sticking out of my skin, right? It's like I want to go to, uh, you know, a trauma center. So, that, you know, there's some things that need to be there. There are some things there, you know, there's true genetic diseases. There's things that need to be treated, and but that's the same as crashing your car, right? That's when your that's when your auto insurance kicks in. It's when you smash your car into something or somebody smashes into you. You know, you, the, your auto insurance doesn't pay for routine maintenance. It doesn't pay for you to change your oil and to keep your tires properly inflated and rotate them and like do keep your car clean and all that stuff. That's you know that's a self responsibility and that's what we need to get everybody you know hooked onto is like look you're responsible for yourself um, and this you know this lifestyle modification is the only way it's going to work. If you imagine. You know, obviously, we all do have to have auto insurance, right? Um, and so, just like now, we all have to have healthcare insurance. And what if the, you know, what if the government told the auto industry that they now have to start paying for cleaning and detailing their cars and oil changes and routine maintenance and you know, fixing any kind of damage, dings that this and that? 
um, and everybody had to have it, then how how expensive would auto insurance be, and how overwhelmed would you know all the services around it be? And it, it's kind of the same gig. So if if we get uh, if we start using healthcare for what it's designed to do is actually disease care that we can't fix with lifestyle, it's too far down the track. Um, you know. Yeah, and I, I get, think we, we take seventy-five percent of the people out of the system. At that well, no, I was going to say. I mean, like I, I remember seeing a statistic. Uh, I remember England and I talked about this. He's like, you know, eighty-five percent of the illness and the problems we see in this country are directly related to lifestyle, whether it be poor yeah. sleep, poor food, lack of exercise. I mean, how many people come in with uh, you know joint injuries and these other just major problems merely because they never did anything to strengthen anything around it? It's like um, you know, like. I, I just remember uh, somebody, and, and I think um, having a conversation. Uh, actually, I was going to Denmark on, a, on uh, for a seminar, and I sat next to this guy who was Danish, and he, he made a, a pretty fascinating comment when he goes, he goes, "How can you have standardized healthcare in America where nobody has any social responsibility to actually take care of their health?" He's like in Denmark and, and you know these uh, uh, you know northern European countries, like. If you're in standardized, you have a social responsibility to be in good shape to exercise and to not weigh down and, and bog down the economy and more importantly the government and all this other stuff. He's like in America, you have no social responsibility. And he's like, I I go to America and I'm just uh, amazed at how many uh, overweight, out of shape, and uh, and people are. And sure enough, we're in Denmark. I'm in Sweden, and we've been to Norway. Selfish, and like everybody's tall, good shape, exercise, rides bikes, does this, you know, walks up five flights of stairs because there's no elevator, and it's just a uh, it's just well, such, not, a, such a different mentality. Not not only not only do Americans not take responsibility for it, but it's actually kind of celebrated, right? Uh, it's like you know, yeah. like the the it's Uber success, yeah, the Uber successful people, you know, that claim to sleep four hours a night and get up at three a.m. and read the New York Times while they're doing the elliptical and That's answering the their emails and get into the five a.m. office and you know start cranking and push themselves and live off of cock coffee and, you know, whatever, protein cocaine. bars and cocaine and, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes a good case that, you know, that, uh, that we're, kind of, we're kind of celebrating the poor lifestyle and it's yeah. like we're holding this up as the ideal. And like John says, if, like some really simple interventions. Like I, like I can't prove this statistically. Like it would have to be a social effort for trial and error, but I think if – I literally think if we got rid of processed – Foods and everybody ate whole foods. You got rid of all the white powders that we're making foods out of, and got everybody to sleep every night. Like, bam! Like, I think 80% of chronic disease is gone. Right? Well, like, here. I, you know, uh, um, and, and I was thinking a little bit when we were talking about outliers earlier. Like, my, like here's a classic example. Like my dad. Uh, my dad has slept no more than five hours, and he's 77 years old, so he's slept no more than five hours his entire life. He usually goes to bed pretty early, right around like nine o'clock. And yeah. he wakes up at like two, three o'clock in the morning, and he usually get up and work. And I remember as a little kid, like laying in bed and hearing the typewriter going at like three o'clock in the morning as my dad up working. And his whole life, he's been like that. Um, he also has never really worried about what he ate, and he has never really exercised. And he was 77 years old before anything happened, and has never taken a medication, never had a surgery, never had anything go uh, wrong. And at 77, ended up having an in, um, uh, a deal where he went to the doctor. They gave, they took his blood, found out he was low in testosterone, gave him a testosterone supplement. He starts rubbing this cream, not realizing that because of his blood sugar was high and he had some other couple things that testosterone aromatized into estrogen, 
thinking his blood clotted and he had a TIA. And uh, they yeah. thought he had a stroke. And when we and then uh, and then they, they scanned him, everything was fine, go back. He has a second episode. At that point we got all this blood work done and basically <coughs> his body wasn't it was all converting. And um, you know, there's a situation where my dad had never been on any medication, never had anything wrong. He goes to some fucking jackass doctor that doesn't understand it and uh, almost kills the poor guy. And now he just made some lifestyle modifications and is fine. He's actually sleeping a little bit more for the first time in 70 some years. But I mean, I, I, and when I asked him a little bit about it, and he his comment is, uh, he thinks that the time that he was raised and how he grew up, he's like, you know, we didn't go to the store. Everything was growing. Like he grew up on a farm and like you know moved out to California when he was a little kid. Um, you know, in the in the 40s, he's like, it was just a, such a different time. There was no grocery store. There was no fast food. There was nothing. He's like, my mom made everything. They made the lunch. Everything was like, you know, local and this. He goes, you know, you guys go to the farmer's market. We just called that like, when we grew up, that was a Saturday. Uh, yeah. And he's yeah. like, he, he goes, I, I think it's just um, that people, you know, Jesse was talking about this on our forums. Um, you know, he was talking about, I think it's just a more robust person. And now what we're seeing is a couple generations that, you know, I'm the product of my grandparents who weren't from this country. And now all of a sudden we're seeing two and three generations, and I just don't think that we're as robust a people as we were. Or maybe all these other things are just kind of like trickling down generation. Like all of a sudden your parents didn't sleep, and now I'm the product of that you know poor decision. Yeah, I mean there, there's there's great evidence to support all that. And, you know, and, and um, you know your your father you know probably is one of those outliers uh, with sleep. I mean we know that it's about one to two percent of the population that's actually in there. Uh, but everyone will argue that they're one of those people. Uh, but unless they have a life story like your father's, I I tend not to believe it. But I I think you know it, it's just like if you think about sports, if you think about athleticism, muscle mass, uh, you know even academic cognitive skills. I think the 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 foundation for all that stuff is built in your childhood years, and I think you're more you know you're more able to. Uh, you know, you're you're just you're just uh, more anti-fragile. The better your foundation is, um, and you know that the you know social lifestyle has changed. I guarantee you, people weren't as stressed, weren't working as many hours. You know, we're spending more downtime. When your dad was young, um, there weren't all these plastics and pesticides and all these zeoneoestrogens that were affecting hormones and. Um, you know, we, we know there's a we know there's a direct correlation. You know, we found in the teams with uh, total testosterone, uh, total testosterone and time in bed, and it's almost a one to one. It doesn't matter if you're sleep deprived, your testosterone goes down, or if your testosterone goes down, you sleep less. Like it, it's it's almost a one to one correlation. It's like a point seven eight or something. Um, and we know that uh, you know my grandfather at my age. Uh, you know, on average, my grandfather my age would have had a 50% higher testosterone than I do. Um, and that's primarily lifestyle and environmental toxins uh, that are getting there and affecting sex hormone binding globulin. I mean, men, men didn't have sex hormone binding globulins at 80, uh, you know, in the 1940s and 50s. Like, they had sex hormone binding globulins of 5 to 10 maybe 15. Like, that was just normal. That's the way it worked. Really? Um, so, like, seven, seven's pretty low then? Yeah, yours is slow, dude. Seven and seven's pretty damn low. Um, but uh, you know, and and you know, the sperm count's even more ridiculous. Like the the average male sperm count, I think is it. I I think I want to say it's at least fifty percent. It might be even yeah. it might even be more than fifty percent reduced uh, yeah. in the last fifty years. Like the average the average male sperm count is only like 
10 million away from being uh, infertile, which you know, men become infertile around 120 million per deciliter, and that's like uh, that. Like the average, I think the average 28-year-old man is like around 135 or something right now. So well, the, the other one that uh, like total volume in terms of sperm, but actually I think it was activity of the sleepers or of the swimmers. Of the swimmers, yeah, for yeah, sure. So there, yeah. there was two things. It was that the uh, obviously the uh, there's half the amount of sperm, but also the speed at which they swim and the ability to like swim over duration. So like right. now if they don't, they swim half as fast for half as long. Right. Whereas, like, the other ones, I think I was reading something like uh, they had a deal where like uh, you know the sperm could swim and survive for up to three days. Now they're killed inside of 24 hours. So yeah, um, you know, and but that, yeah, I mean, there's some like people don't yeah, want to yeah. necessarily, but I mean, if, if you take a look, like dude, they've. Um, I don't know if you've looked at it, but they have this huge social problem going on in Japan right now with these, uh, I, I, they have a term for them, but they're basically asexuals where they're men and women that don't want to get married, don't want to have to do anything, and actually don't have any formal relationship. And, uh, yeah. it, it, you know, and they went back and they looked at, like, T-counts, and, like, it's basically, like, null and void that they've sterilized these people, and there's this huge, like, you know, pressure, like, how are they going to keep the generations going? And uh, I always wonder if it goes back to whether it be, like, environmental toxins, I mean, a million different factors. Pretty scary. Yeah, well, they, they've, uh, I just saw a recent study. I didn't, I didn't read the article. Or I read the abstract of it, and I, I can't remember. It, it, I think it's in the Endocrine uh, Society's journal. Um, but they were, they were talking about uh, some pretty long-term studies. I want to say it's, it's about thirty, about thirty-year trial on this thing. Um, when they, they were testing the. Uh, the pregnant mother's uh, cord blood for uh, the BPAs from you know the plastic, um, and they found a, a really really strong correlation between uh, HPTA uh, dysregulation in uh, the you know those women's offsprings and their cord blood, uh, the BPAs in their cord blood. So. Uh, the environmental toxins are, you know, shifting everybody's hormones around. It's not just men; um, it's men and women. Um, and it, you know, it's not just testosterone. You know, I mean, it's it's a, you know, it's it's working as a zeoestrogen or neoestrogen, but that's also, you know, affecting DHEA. That's affecting cortisol. It's affecting thyroid production. It's affecting uh, probably insulin and glucagon. At you know, it. At, uh, at some levels, uh, if, you, if you trace everything back far enough, like every hormone kind of depends on the other, um, and you know, it, it's it's a it's a mess that we're in, and and uh, to try to solve it with fancier new pills and fancier biohacking and fancier devices, I think is just a recipe for disaster. I mean, the, the simple cost-effective solution is just educating the masses and getting really successful people to stand up and, you know, admit that they should sleep nine hours or eight hours a night and that, you know, to to have a lot of healthy choices available wherever you go eat and, uh, you know, where people eat, have our kids have healthy food at school, uh, you know, parents regulating how many hours our kids can sit in front of Xbox, you know, that it, it, it's just going to take a grassroots social movement to save us. It's definitely not something that can be done by a medical society or by the government or anything like that. Yeah, I think one of the We're most in. In. one of the most like poignant things that you said that really encapsulates this whole issue is, uh, I mean, the the fact that fifty four thousand people, fifty four thousand two hundred and some, have viewed your TED talk. 
versus um, you know the number that have viewed a like how to make an origami Chinese throwing star. Or even Gagum style. Yeah. Um, is it? It have is. You heard that song though? Uh, just on the on the uh, it's pump up music. No, what's the pistachio commercial? Oh, <laughs> so I heard it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It is. It is so indicative of sort of like our attitude towards it. And you know what I say to those people who haven't watched it. Uh, or or don't plan on watching it, or don't plan on being a part of the the conversation. Well, fuck them. Well, you know. Don't you think um, that's kind of a good thing? Because I always think like at some point we're going to inherit the earth. Well, well, well uh, uh, Doc and Rob and I, and we, we always rap about this that like we got to find the place to like set up our own little compound and like live out there and be like. Right, we'll just be out here and be awesome. You guys can just... And all these assholes yeah. destroy themselves. Yeah, sleep, like, just sleep right through the apocalypse. Dude, you yeah. know what? We're going to get a bunker. It's going to be called Sleep Bunker. We have yeah. a bunker. It's called this office. Dude, we... Hey, John, we, we found eight eight acres today of riverfront out here in New Braunfels for like two... Dude, uh, uh, send, me the, uh, <laughs> send me the address because, uh, uh, you know, we, we were out... I, I already, you already know this, but yeah, we were out in Austin kind of checking out the areas, and we've been kind of... Scoping it, I, I, we have this dream of creating a power athlete ranch somewhere yeah. in, in Texas that would be close, and then we can just suck Robbie into it, and then we can, uh, uh, at, yeah. that point, at that point, we can actually set it up where we have a thousand yard range, and we can just Live go out as and like just a, <laughs> exactly like a weird power athlete commune type environment. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah, it, it'll be it'll be like the hippie <laughs> communes. It'll be like the hippie communes, but. For a higher purpose than just kind of hanging out together. Yeah. Well, it'll actually be like be, communes, be, but be more like, like uh, be, be more like uh, Galt's Galt's Gulch or whatever uh, from. Yeah, we'll be yeah, the most jacked hippie. You'll be the most shredded one because. Well, like, I, I, uh, so, I was always imagine six like percent body fat. Like a big barn full full of weights, and then like a uh, like a big fire pit with like tables around, and then yeah. uh, like like you you would have to meet at like the morning training place, and then like come out. Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, I would love, I would love to elaborate on this, but I have to actually get started on that project, uh, like right immediately. So we're <laughs> we can't thank you enough for joining us on the podcast. This is going to be so great when all of our listeners, um, you know, get it. This is a super long one, which is awesome because, I mean, I personally, I think, I think you guys would agree. I mean, everything we talked about was super pertinent to everything that our listeners are are mm-hmm. into and and stand behind. Yeah. Well, if you take out all of our parents, then it's really just like four. Oh yeah, we count our parents. Oh yeah, we have to. But but thanks again, Doc, for taking the time out to do this. It's our parents at Herbal. Yeah, it's shout out Herbal. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure being on the podcast. Uh, You guys are doing great work. Um, You know, I I I'm I'm always inspired by people who are actually out there creating content. you know, I've, I've I've had that plan for years, and uh, I I just don't get a whole lot of time to do it. So, um, yeah. well, you're you're changing lives, and uh, that's a much more noble feat than what. Yeah, that or just sleeping and being lazy. Yeah, he's fucking sleeping all day. No wonder. Yeah, if, if, I just, if I just slept less, I could probably get more yeah. content out of us. Yes. Yeah. Five hours is plenty. That's what yeah, I right. Appreciate Thanks, it, brother. Hey, talk to you all soon. All right. right. Bye-bye. Join us next week when we talk with Dan John about a myriad of topics, including why he views coaching as an art form, his preference of the long jump over the vertical jump for testing, and the rationale for telling an athlete, quote, maybe God just doesn't want you to lift weights. 
Dan is a highly outspoken character with a lot of great commentary in this upcoming episode, so be sure to tune in next week. Until then, bye! Track on